to another edition of Mr. Nice Guy. I'm Ben Slowey. And joining me today, boy, do we got a treat. Uh, we've got a long-running DJ, uh, music activist, uh, promoter. Um, she's been a DJ for over 20 years. Um, she um, runs the promotions company, a part. I'm looking forward to hearing about uh, all the things she does. Uh, her passions are creativity and why she does all of it. Uh, so thank you for joining me, Fortune. Thank you for having me, pleasure to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. What, what'd you do today? Today, I um, the morning was taken up with some, um, I guess you would say activist stuff, some of the, around the racial equality justice movement that we have going on right now. And then um, did some running around and some errands. Went to a chiropractor. That was amazing. Um, some home stuff. My son is is homeschooling right now, of course. All right, doing the virtual yeah. uh, school. Yep. So, and then just got back from that a little while ago. And then after you and I wrap up, I will have a protest to go to. So, I'll be doing that. Oh, good for you. That's yeah. awesome. Um, I'm happy that. You know, you're still uh, partaking in actions. I know it's been a very long summer of them, but um, I've seen uh, you um, your posts about them like for a while now. And uh, it's really awesome that you've been balancing everything along with standing up for what's right. Thank you. Yeah, I don't know um, if I can really say it's super balanced. That's probably taken the forefront in the last few months for me, um, but yeah. We've been out there there every day recently and doing a lot of organizing. So thank you. Appreciate yeah, it. Absolutely. Um, which uh, group are you uh, marching with today? Uh, today it will be, um, yeah, TPR, the People's Revolution. Hmm. Today I work with them quite a lot. So they're the ones who are out there every single day. I've been out there for probably it's got to be 110 days now we've got to be at. So every day, protest or action. Yes, shout out and solidarity to the People's Revolution. Um, I marched a lot um, in June, um, like the, the, the initial George Floyd protests. Um, I managed to get out a ton. Um, once I got my unemployment, I started trying to like contribute to the revolution in more like fiscal and tangible ways. I'm just trying to donate and support local artists and support local businesses and just support those that need it right now too, because I mean, the revolution obviously um, manifests itself in many different avenues. Um, but uh, yeah, did you, um, did, were you out in Kenosha at all? Yeah, we were actually just down there again yesterday. Um, and I was out there um, the day before Kyle Rittenhouse shooting and the day after. But I luckily, for me, didn't go down the day of, but our whole group was down there um, and, and caught up in some of that. Obviously, Gage is one of the, the men who was shot in the arm, is one of the medics who is, marches and joins TPR, uh, the People's Revolution, very regularly. So, yeah, we've been been involved in a lot of action down there. Um, yeah, and I, I guess while we're talking about that, I'll just make a very clear distinction between the riots, the looting, and that type of aggression and protest um, versus what we do, which can um, definitely involve civil disobedience, but it's in a very small, narrow lane. So, you know, civil disobedience is, includes marching in the street, for example, that's considered civil disobedience, or um, people sitting on the car door, you know, mm -hmm. out of the window, it's, it's actually breaking a law. So there are the, the, maybe two or three things um, beeping on our horns that are, are counted, um, but that is the lane we stay in beyond that. So there's nothing outside of that. There's no violence. There's no violent demonstration. There's no destruction of property or anything like that. But when we talk about Kenosha, um, and now even closer to home, you know, Wauwatosa has become a very hot topic. 
um, I need to make that really clear. Because even when I was in Kenosha last night, I went into a restaurant and ordered a sandwich. I had to leave early. And the woman in there was live streaming our protest just down the road. She was watching a live stream. I'm like, oh, what are you watching? You know, and she's like, oh, these people down the road, they all need to get arrested. Um, I'm like, oh, why do you think that? And she said, well, have you seen the city? Like the rioting and the looting and all the burning of everything that happened. And I said, how do you know that's the same people? Obviously me knowing it wasn't the same people, but curious about her take. And and she's, she said, well, it's, it's, they all need to get lives, you know, and that, that, that they're all part of the problem. And they have just, lives. That's, that's yeah. like the best kind of life to have to be standing for Joe's justice. Exactly. And, you know, they're standing up for life. And I said that to her, you know, I said, well, these people not only have lives, but the whole reason they're doing this is to protect lives. Um, and, and I asked her what she thought about that. And she said, I'm gonna have to take a minute and think about that. And oftentimes people just aren't thinking. You know, you see the news and you just assume that's how it is, or you just assume how what you hear and watch makes you feel is truth. And we have to push against that. For me, that's what got me deeply involved, was my experience being so different from how it was portrayed um, on the news. My second protest, I was down at uh, District 5 because it's right by my house. And they brought out the National Guard, two busloads of National Guard and turned on people and tear gassed. And there was just complete panic and someone got run over. And that's when injury happened. That's when aggression came out. And before that, for five hours, it hadn't been like that at all. And um, I was just like, wow, this is really going down this way all the time. And I've seen that just repeated over and over. And so it's just important for me, A, to be informed for myself, A, to stand up for justice, obviously, but then to be informed for myself and be able to tell other people, like, this is actually how it's going down because the press is not, either not willing or not able, the mainstream press to give a well-rounded version of events. Certainly. Yeah, I, I do appreciate, um, you know, you giving like that firsthand testimony of like what's been going on out there and the distinction between the, the rioting and the protesting. Like I, um, I'm with the PSL, the Party for Socialism and Liberation. Um, so we've, uh, we've been to a number of actions, um, uh, specifically with the People's Revolution um, this past summer. and. Yeah. Um, uh, it's yeah I mean it's all from what I've seen it's like the people that are actually like they're marching for justice you know um, are doing it entirely peacefully you know? I guess like you know people are firm um, and people are, especially like as it gets later I've noticed that the the marches and the protests do get a lot like emotions get more flared up understandably um, but well-organized, well-led, and, uh, you know, the, the goals are strictly um, lined out before we always start marching, you know, it's like what we're marching for, who we're doing it for, why we're doing it, what our demands are, like what our target audience is, and um, yeah, um, I was actually, um, I was actually in Kenosha the day before Kyle Rittenhouse, uh, mm -hmm killed killed murdered two people um i was there that day too and that was one of the scariest nights of my life um i'd never been i'd actually never been um at a protest where i'd never experienced the tear gas and the rubber bullets and the um lrads before um that was my first experience with that and um a comrade of mine right next to me got shot in the leg with a rubber bullet. We had to carry him and haul him off to um, to the back uh, where we um, had to give him medical attention. You can't help but, you know, just drive away from an event like that that evening, just sort of like in disbelief that this is how militarized a response the police are like willing to 
like take measures for rather than just do the right thing and hold accountable the officer that shot Jacob Blake seven times. It just, it doesn't add up. It doesn't, it's absolutely mind blowing. Absolutely. And like you, you know, um, yeah, that night was so, in, so intense. And yet a weird experience for me was that it, it was um, familiar. So my, you know, there was tear gas used at District 5, but there wasn't LRADs and I, I wasn't aware of projectiles. Um, so it was really my experience, especially my first experience with all of that, especially being in such a large, such a large amount of it. I mean, it was a huge area. It looked like a battlefield, right, in front of the courthouse. And it was covered in smoke half the time and you'd see figures coming out and cries for medics all across. Um, and I had a young man actually next to me laid down on the floor being tended to by a medic when I was at the back who had been shot in the ankle with a rubber bullet. Maybe um, that was my comrade as a matter of fact. Could have been. Could have been. They taped him up with some bags of ice and, and he was in pain there for, for 10 minutes. He couldn't get up off the floor. But it was just so like, wow, you know, um, we marched up with a whole group and there was already a group in front of the courthouse. And I don't know if someone did something in front of the police or if it was just our arrival, but as soon as we rounded that corner, out came, there was a huge explosion, you know, the huge, like, holy crap, what was that, you know? Um, and then just waves of tear gas and, and projectiles. And it was just like, so mind blowing. Because at one point, there was someone who either threw someone something or set off fireworks towards the police. I heard about that. Yeah, yeah. But for me, what's so crazy is that with all the technology and the manpower and the military shielding that they have with their body armor, you guys can take, you, the police could figure out a way to take out the necessary people right, to deal with the people who need to be incapacitated and arrested, to focus instead of tear gassing a whole group of thousands of people who are 95% peaceful yeah. and just aggravate, aggravating the whole situation, it's, it's absolutely unnecessary, you know? And I do understand that if the police have something fired at them or are attacked, of course they're going to respond, I get that. Um, do I think it's the right way to do it? No, but I accept that that's how it is right now. Yet it still doesn't justify their responses. They're completely blanket responses, you know, that, that pull in hundreds of people who shouldn't be attacked like that. And then those people get really upset, understandably. And it wasn't until a couple of hours of that happening in front of the courthouse that we then got the call, okay, there's fires being set in the town, you need to get back to your cars. And as we walked, tried to get back to the cars, which was really hard, streets were being blocked off by guards, there were fires everywhere. That was crazy, seeing those fires raging. But all the time I was thinking, what would have happened if they hadn't treated the protesters in that way? Would these people have broken off, whoever it was, the younger kids or really pissed off people or instigators, you know? Um, would that have happened if the, the protests had been allowed to have a voice, allowed to protest, been taken the few people who were problematic for the police and the rest were allowed to raise their voice in peaceful protest. Would you have had that aggression and that anger and those kids being like, obviously screw this, we're so pissed. We've just been annihilated for two hours in a row. We can't even protest um, going and doing things like that. It's just escalation all the time instead of strategy. Right, yeah, totally. Like if, you know, at the very least, um, it could have it could have panned out with some sort of a dialogue happening between the protesters, you know, speaking out um, against the injustices, like being given a platform to like you know have um, to to de make their demands and doing so peacefully, um, and even if like the police would have been willing to have that dialogue that night about 
how they're looking into it and uh, are going to hold the hold the officer accountable because it's on video what exactly what happened so you know, yeah. folks know what happened and um you know there just wasn't any um conflict management from from the the police side of, of that evening um and it, you know their response to being thrown water bottles at um was shooting tear gas and rubber bullets at people and uh, and engaging in psychological warfare with the lrads i mean those um those sound bombs can trigger really intense like um fight or flight responses in people um which you know can be it could be like ptsd like you know 100%. yeah and that's just like it's it's just amazing where we've really been seeing just the measures that the institution of u.s law enforcement the measures they're taking to suppress the revolution rather than you know fight to better themselves and hold each other accountable and you know if, if there's so-called good cops that people love that you know apologists for for cops like say that there are good cops then where are these good cops um speaking out against the uh, horrible ones um and i mean i mean there's just so much there's so much to to unpack and too right. much for us to really get into yeah. um yeah. because ultimately i do want to hear about your music career but um but like you said we can we can always uh you know continue this dialogue on a deeper level like you know on a personal note but i'm glad to yeah but I mean, but point being is I'm really like, I'm glad you've been out there. Um, yeah. I'm in full solidarity with you and the people's revolution. So um, yeah, love to see it keep going. It's going to keep going. I will just say one thing on that, if I can, that you just mentioned about the good cops. Um, I, I straddle a line there because I do have a good friend of mine is on a black man on the force in, in Chicago. So we're talking way more intense than Milwaukee and has been for many, many years. And he's someone I check in with weekly, like, hey, how are you doing? And his life is crazy. But his life was crazy before. And he had issues with the police force before and the systemic problems in the police force. So I, I certainly can't say this for everyone, but I can say just in my personal friendship with him, it's very hard to stand up within the police force for anything. Yeah. Forget that it's racial equity or police brutality for anything, for even yourself or your own standards. And that speaks to the systemic power problem in the police force. Like it's a very hard institution, my impression, this is a very hard institution to be on the inside of and stand up for anything other than the way that it is. And I, my suspicion is people get into a mode of self-protection, right? If they're gonna keep their sanity and keep their own emotional selves together, not saying that's justified, especially when we're talking about police brutality, but just in general, I think I can see how people get into a mode of self-protection of I just gotta keep my head down for my family and get through this and do my job. Because this, this colleague of mine um, had to tackle that. That was frequently a topic of our conversations before any of this, you know, dealing with being a police officer, not just, not because of the streets, because of the police, and then the streets as well, you know. And, and yet I also feel like there's room for it all. I'm also not mad at the people who do go after all police just because I feel a degree differently and there are other people who feel different degrees differently i i think there's room for it all unless you're talking about harming someone right unless you're talking about messing with someone's what physical well-being there's 
different people respond to different things, different parts of the system respond to different things. Just like with feminism too, you know, I'm a feminist, but I, I'm not a hardcore militant feminist in my language. I tend to be much more middle of the road than some feminists would maybe like. Um, and there's room for it all. I still love my hardcore militant feminists who will take no shit and have no conversations because that impacts a certain group of people who need to hear things that way. And the way I do things impacts a different type of people who respond to that. So it's, I think that's also part of our problem today is this, my way is the only way. My vision is the only vision because um, we're all freaking different. And I think there's room for a lot of things to have yeah. an impact. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the, the revolution is in a regular journey, just as all individuals have, you know, subjective learnings when it comes to education, experience, exposure, you know, growth, like everyone is on their own journey for sure. And ultimately like everyone has to live into their own truths. You know, you're gonna make mistakes, you're gonna outgrow people, you're gonna make new, you're gonna find yourself in new groups and uh, and that's all okay. Of course, there's nuances, you know, there are nuances to all conversations, definitely. But ultimately, like, we can draw the conclusion that what's happening is not right. It hasn't been right. And, uh, you know, I, and we need change. And I empathize with the people that are, that are, like, I mean, I consider myself pretty radical, but even folks that are more radical than I am, like I empathize with them, yeah. you know, I, so, well, anyway, um, Jess, uh, we can keep talking revolution, uh, for sure. off, well, off the record for sure, but, um, we can talk music. Yes. So fortune, uh, what we talk about on Mr. Nice Guy, we examine love and fear, passion and creativity. And, uh, I know some folks in the club scene, um, and DJs, um, I'm actually wearing a Homewreckers shirt right now. Nice, excellent. <laughs> Shout out to the Homewreckers. Yeah, um, they're old friends of mine. Um, but um, but I, and I also, I'm uh, tight with best friends, um, you know, Alex Martinelli. Um, I know, I started kind of branching out into, because I, I cover, I write for Breaking and Entering, the music blog. And, um, you know, I, I, I would cover shows primarily in like the, like the hip hop scene or the indie scene or the DIY scene. And this past year, like, you know, I, I noticed that like, you know, we don't give a whole lot of attention to like DJs and electronic producers and stuff going on like in that realm. And, um, so I've really been trying to make an active effort to like get to know more folks in that scene. And I saw your name come up a lot. I know that you've been in the scene for a very long time, um, like a very long time. <laughs> and so, um, and uh, you've worked with a lot of really dope people. Um, I know that uh, you were in public allies back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we'll start with, um, so you're originally from the UK, yes? Yeah. Yes. Um, tell me about uh, what ended up bringing you over here uh, across the pond. I will tell you the abbreviated version, which is funny. I just had this conversation last night. Um, but basically, I was living in England. I had... Um, I'd had a tough couple of years as a teenager, as an as a old 16, 17 year old. Um, I was adopted when I was two and a half. And at 16, I met my bio parents. And I, I went through a bit of an identity crisis there. And I, I didn't know it was identity crisis and just emotionally difficult time. Um, my father was very sick. He was schizophrenic. And that was very hard for me to process and deal with and um, just shook up my home life. So I ended up actually running away from home, getting expelled um, at 17. Well, I was already done with high school. We finished at 16 then. So it was, um, it was A-levels. 
And then I was just living, I'd gotten into uh, the music scene before all of that. I was going to raves a lot. Electronic music was this huge new culture in England, like sweeping the nation. Illegal parties were massive underground phenomenon. We had um, bands like KLF and The Prodigy and a number one on the commercial charts. You know, it was just this, this huge cool thing. So I ended up for a year kind of involved in that um, and living this um, not the best for me lifestyle. We'll just say like that and, and take that to an extreme. That's probably where I was. Um, and I had an opportunity to come to California. A, a woman that I knew had to, was living and working in England and had to come back to California unexpectedly. And she didn't want to go. And she's like, you should come with me. And I said, I should go with you. <laughs> um, because I just really needed to get out. I was at a point in my life where um, it was, I knew that wasn't the path for me to continue down. Um, and so that seemed like a great opportunity. So two weeks later, just after my 19th birthday, um, I was on a plane with an open-ended ticket for a year and 150 bucks in my suitcase. And that's how I came to America. Um, stayed a year in California and met my former husband out there and he was from Milwaukee. So that's how I ended up in Milwaukee after that. It's all coming together now. It is, it is. <laughs> Um, did you like California? I loved it. I was shocked that I loved it um, because I, America was never on my list of places to visit. Not that I would have minded, but, but I wanted to go to, you know, the Middle East and the Far East and all sorts of places. My places of heritage, uh, Australia, New Zealand, India. So those were up there. And so I was like, well, America it is. And um, I actually loved it. Yeah, had a really good experience living there. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Uh, I've been meaning to make the old uh, West Coast trip uh, at some point, because I kind of want to go out there to see if like I would see myself there at any point in time. But Milwaukee is a really dope city to grow and uh, sort of find your find yourself in. You know, it's mm -hmm. not too big and it's not overwhelming, but there's also just plenty of new people to always know and there's a lot of a lot of things going on at all times so that's kind of awesome how you serendipitously ended up here yeah yeah it worked out definitely yeah so um so i guess like how did the whole djing thing start for you like when did i know you said you started you were going to raves and stuff but when did you start sort of like you know getting into the entertainment aspect of it on your own? That was not actually until much later. Um, I got started getting to know people in the Chicago scene when I turned 21 and could actually go out. You know, that was a really weird thing coming here and not being able to go out when you can go to pubs in England when you're 14 alone yeah. as long as you don't buy booze, right? I've been going to clubs since I was 16. And suddenly here I was 19, 20 and I couldn't do anything. It was really weird. Um, but as soon as I was 21, I was at Smart Bar and in, in the Chicago clubs because it, Milwaukee was cool, but there was very little music scene. It had a very new music scene that was emerging that I knew of anyway. Um, so I think probably I will honestly say that I started DJing by um, being around DJs and I dated a couple of DJs and having that access to equipment and other people who were playing music. Um, that's what did it. And it's, it's interesting reflecting because for all my absolute hardcore love and passion for the music and the rave scene, it never once occurred to me to try DJing myself. My guy friends were buying turntables and playing together, but there were no women doing it. It just wasn't a thought. Um, and then in Chicago, I started seeing women doing it. Super Jane girls, Colette, Heather, Lady D and Dehoda and um, Elena, who's like extended, extended uh, family for them. And I think that seeped in a little bit as well. Awesome. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, where did you sort of, where did you develop fortune? How did that kind of become your brand? 
That was simply because I didn't want to choose a DJ name. It was already a nickname at my place of work. I was a server at a Italian, really cool Italian restaurant off Brady Street called Vinifera. And my number for the POS system was 500. So, because I had good sales, I just got the nickname Fortune 500 and people abbreviated it to Fortune. So when I started DJing and they're like, what's your name for the flyer? I actually said to the guy who gave it to me, Mark Escribano, I said, I'm just gonna use Fortune. Cause he's like, no, you're not. I'm like, I totally am. And so some like 10 years later, he had moved to LA or whatever. And I heard, heard from him and he's like, you really did it. You, you go by the name I gave you. So, so that was it. I just didn't want to pick a DJ name. So I went with a nickname <laughs> and I liked the connotations already. I liked how you could interpret it, you know? Mm. Um, Bling and money factor aside, the destiny, fortune, luck, being lucky, whatever, all of that. I liked that. I love that. That's awesome. That is super cool. Um, you grew up in a really awesome time for music, for sure. Um, I did. I, yeah, like, I'm a big electronic music nerd, and specifically, I love 90s electronic, like, um, you know, Underworld. And that kind of stuff. I, I love that. The Prodigy, the Chemical Brothers, like um, Massive Attack. Um, oh, um, I love all that stuff. Huge part of my growing up, Massive Attack, because I was just outside Bristol um, yeah. for, for all of that. So, yeah. I They're also very um, politically active, and I, that's, I love Massive Attack even more for that reason, too. Um, yeah um but uh so when you were kind of developing your own brand and sort of like what you wanted to be known for like how did you kind of like i know i was kind of reading your bio a little bit like over time you just started incorporating with more and more styles like the different the variations of house and techno like how did you sort of like you know come into your own with like stylistically I don't think I ever have, to be honest. Um, I still play everything, you know, some days it's a techno gig, sometimes it's house. I, I have this alias now, Misfortune, who's like dubstep. Um, and sometimes it's everything. If, I, if it's the right gig where I can run the gamut of all of it, I will. So that, that's actually been um, a difficult point for me. I think it's, it's who I am as an artist, it's who I am as a person, but I, I'm very aware that as humans, we like what we know. That's why McDonald's is so successful, right? Wherever you go in the world, you know what you're gonna get at McDonald's. And so for DJs, I think that's a plus too. If you know what your micro niche is and that's what you always play, then that the audience is always gonna know what they're gonna get with you and that's, that's a benefit. But for me, that's like soul destroying. <laughs> um, and I just think that's partially because of what my life experience has been like. I've lived a lot of cultures and a lot of varied experiences um, and a lot of different kinds of people and sticking to one thing. It's just, it's tough for me. Word. I, yeah. Hey, I have mad respect for that approach because I feel like I've always connected most to like layered individuals. Like, I feel like I'm kind of a layered individual myself or just I'm interested in a lot of things and I don't always have time to like immerse myself in like each little thing that like I want to do but and that's kind of why like you know sometimes you have to focus on like one at a time so in a way like that's it works the same when you're um when you're like a DJ that just plays you know a lot that doesn't put yourself in a box like you know, every gig is going to be, it, it just all kind of depends on the vibe and the crowd and the venue and just sort of like what you're just in the mood for. Yeah. But the beauty is eventually like, you know, over time, it's just, you'll eventually be able to say like, you can do all of it. Yeah. And, you know, that brings up something. I love being a direct support DJ. So for example, um, at Smart Bar, I've been very lucky to play there a lot in Chicago, um, probably 20 times or so over the years, which I suspect is more than 
than anyone who isn't a non-local, you know, who isn't a Chicago resident. So I feel very blessed to have had that relationship with Smart Bar. But getting to be direct support for so many different artists and craft a set that will um, resonate with that audience and set up that DJ correctly without, in my own style and with my own, you know, of course, like the tracks that I like and love. Um, but that's one of my favorite things, really. Yeah, I would love to see Milwaukee expanding too in that way. Um, I think we're really lucky to have had venues like Site 1A the last few years um, and another underground venue too. Um, they've been instrumental in supporting Milwaukee even having an electronic music scene and then growing it and adding dimensions to it. But I would love to see more, more other people being able to be successful, throwing different kinds of parties too, and our city being able to support that because there's a lot of different ways to throw parties, you know? Oh, yes. There's a lot of different types of parties. And I think um, there's room for some of those in Milwaukee. I would love to see it. I would love to see, um, you know, some undergrounds or even a, even a club space, but that was geared to the more artistic side of the electronic music scene. And it's very difficult because you have to make the money to support it, right? If you're running a venue. Um, but talk about wild parties, you know, there's so much depth there and so much to explore if you can, can get into that and if Milwaukee could support that. And I think that's something we've been lacking um, the last decade or so. Yeah. Some, people have into, some people have certainly had success, but it's like one group of people or one person or one venue, you know, um, and then for a limited amount of time too. Yeah. Totally. And that actually brings is a good segue into the next point is so in your bio um, on Facebook, it mentioned you mentioned that um, the Milwaukee music crashed in 09. Um, mm. And it eventually led to you focusing more on your promotions work. So I guess I'd love to hear a little bit about more about that, like what happened and uh, how just kind of did you respond to it? Yeah, well, I guess in the early 2000s, um, the, the, the Wisconsin's version, I don't know if it was the States or Wisconsin's version of the Rave Act was introduced and we had had something similar introduced earlier in England to stop illegal parties happening, right? To stop them happening outside of non-traditional venues. So that was the first layer in really limiting the freedom of expression that was happening with these parties and putting it in a box. And then obviously in 08, we had the recession hit here. And I remember, you know, I was already um, full-time DJing then and and promoting, throwing parties, but it was um, at three, which was a, the club space at that time. And then just small little things for friends. It wasn't like, this is my focus. It was just something I did as well as being a DJ. And um, when the recession hit, it was like, how is this gonna go? It could have gone, people don't have anything else going on right now. So they're really gonna wanna go out and hear music and, and release and have that outlet or things are going to get so bad that people aren't even going to do that they're not going to have the money to spend they're not going to have the like hey yeah let's go party it's not going to feel like that it's going to be more depressed than that and it did eventually go the other way at first it wasn't clear but it went the other way and and our clubs closed three closed mantra lounge closed um which was was really like the first version of Site 1A, I would say Montreal Lounge was, where they were bringing in national and international acts on an every weekend basis. Um, and, and yeah, really groundbreaking for Milwaukee in that, in that sense. Um, but clubs closed and, and what did stay open, and this was already happening before, earlier in the 2000s was the push towards top 40. So early 2000s, so many little clubs in Milwaukee were electronic music. We had Matisse, we had Dish, we had Ty Joe's, and then some bigger clubs opened and tried to do electronic music, Pure, and a couple of others. But there was support for electronic music in the commercial venues, not just underground. And then that shifted. Top 40s started becoming king. And so um, 
when the recession happened and the clubs closed, Top 40 really took over in the venues. And we saw that switch um, happen. So, um, yeah. And then obviously the promoters, as the venues closed, the promoters stopped and parties just stopped getting thrown. And I, I, I think I was the only one who was crazy enough to still try and throw parties. And, and it was really painful. It was like, wow. I remember I brought Titsworth from Washington, D.C. And it was just like, wow, this is rough. Um, because he was a really known name then, you know, and you expected so many more people to be there for that. Um, and that's when I kind of battened down the hatches after that one and went into like, um, how do I just get through this and doing only locals stuff and um, minimizing my losses at that point. Yeah, yeah. sure. Um, yeah. That, yeah, that had to be yeah, just on a cultural level, that's really harsh. Um, you know, the economic impact at the time. I mean, yeah. Um, I remember my parents' small business, they were they had a garden center and they never recovered from the recession either. Um so yeah. Um Yeah, I so had my electricity cut off during that time period three times my electricity was turned off and I would get it right back on right the next day. But that's like a real, that stands out in my head as like a indicator. Like I've never had my electricity cut off before and I've never had my electricity cut off since. Right. Oh. Um, but that was that like, okay, this, it was definitely rough. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So how did a part music, uh, kind of, uh, manifest? Apart, so before that I was branded as For You Events, which was really just a play on my name, Fortune. It's like four without the T and then you um, events and the, the meaning of it. Um, and after a few years when things were turning around again, it was just, um, I really needed to do something fresh. And there were a couple of reasons. One was I felt I was going in a different direction than what I'd been doing before. So I think I mentioned it was very oriented before towards like get togethers with friends and let's just all have a bar where we can play records and have a good time. Um, and I had some more intentionality behind my goals um, as to what I wanted to do, how I wanted to impact Milwaukee, what sort of business I wanted to build. And also um, I felt like I was coming out of a, a sort of time in that scene where there was a lot of internal drama. There was a lot of like, whatever, crap. And I just wanted to clean that slate and remove myself from all of it. And just be like, I'm starting a new brand, a new business. Not that that meant anything to anyone else except me with that particular thing. But it was my way of saying, I'm not gonna be part of all of this, this crap anymore. Remove the For You events name from it and just start fresh. So um, I, I really wanted to do things differently. I was thinking about the internship program that I do. I was thinking about forming the artist collaborative and really how I wanted to, um, you know, impact Milwaukee's music scene at that time rather than parties for friends. But yeah, I started doing my own thing. I was very lucky to have one of my mentors, James Amato, who was, um, co-owner of Mantra Lounge and the one who did all the bookings and and was a very well-known music figure. Um, he moved to LA to pursue music out there um, and he moved back to Milwaukee at that time so I was very lucky to have him working with me um, at that time and that was also an opportunity which um, helped me a lot with the rebranding as well I think and the direction because he was the mind who I when I first got into dealing with agents and contracts he was the only one that I knew to go to and he was always really helpful and supportive with helping me navigate that whole language and different realm. Shout out. Shout out. Yeah. yeah. Um, cool so I mean obviously with um, the pandemic and everything I mean it's been a really tough navigation for many event planning and promotions companies and organizations to find ways to still entertain folks and sort of still put content out as it has for 
creatives and entrepreneurs of all kinds, you know? Um, so I guess like, what have you been um, up to uh, in the last, you know, six months since like we've been under the pandemic, like what's been going on? Like how have you, like, is a part still, um, you know, are, are you still like actively kind of doing stuff with it right now? Or like, what are you focusing on? A part is simmering on a slow cooker right now. Um, I've had a project in the works for longer than I would like, um, one and a half years now, which was moving the apart artists, which was really just um, using my platform and network to elevate artists who I believed in. I believe in a lot of artists, but it's a very small group. Um, they had to hit a certain criteria for me to work with them, to elevate them. And also I get the benefit of, of working with these creative, wonderfully creative people that inspire me and motivate me. And um, so it was really just a copesthetic idea and relationship. And a couple of years ago, I decided to move that into um, a professional management agency. Um, so that has all been in line. The roster has been in line for, for a while now. It's really just been the website development that's been the hang up. Um, but I've allowed it to, you know, website is tough and I wanted want some quite specific functionality with it. So um, it's, it's, it seems like it's gonna be done really soon. So I'm excited about that, but I'm not gonna say it is gonna be done really soon until it's actually done. Um, um, but that, you know, I'm 46. I never thought I would say this, but, but throwing parties lost some of its appeal for me and being in clubs and uh, parties has lost some of its appeal for me. And I've been doing it since I was 16 and I never thought, I'm, I was like, I'm gonna be that 80 year old woman on the dance floor, you know? Um, <laughs> But a few years ago, I had this crazy experience where I was like, I actually want to stay home and watch Netflix tonight and chose to do that instead. And then that happened a lot more. Um, and so the management agency just seemed a natural transition. Um, still using my platform, you know, still being, music has always had a mission for me. People say, it's all about the music. And I can't say that it's all about the music. For me, it's been what the music is a vehicle for. So in the early days, it was the community and the, the love and the whole ethos of, of rave, you know, and it transitioned into lots of different things, ending up in how do I impact the music scene, you know, shining a light on female talent, shining a light on the need for equality, um, and doing what I can to contribute to the things that I believe in. And I can transition that to the agency. So before this recent push since George Floyd's death um, for equality, there's been a big push in the music scene for women to have a more equal representation. But there hasn't been the big push that we need for, for black people to have appropriate representation. And it has floored me since I became aware of it for years that Milwaukee, here we are between Chicago and Detroit, the, our, and New York is also a place of origin, of course, for American house and techno. And we are so white. And Chicago and Detroit have become very white too. Um, there's still, of course, people of color who are highly influential and contributing, but that they don't get the prominence that they should. They don't get the representation that they should. They're, they're excluded a lot. Um, and so before any of, before this year, over, over a year and a half ago, um, my Rasta part artist was already in that, leaning that way. Um, and my Rasta is primarily, you know, people of color, women, people from the LGBTQ community. And so that is, is the focus of the, of the management agency is to represent the underrepresented obviously talent first and foremost. It has to be talent that I believe in very strongly. Um, but there's no shortage of that in those demographics. There's plenty of it, so. Yeah. People can't forget uh, where house music came from. You know, people cannot lose sight of that, definitely. Yeah, and it's not losing sight of where it came from and that it's still there. Yeah. 
You know, it's not just a part of history that black people created house music. Yeah. Black people are creating house music now and it's really fucking good. I exactly. don't know how to oh, say yeah. that. But yeah. um, don't just assign it to history. And, and just like we have pushed for with women to educate yourselves and go out there and find the women who are playing and find the women who are producing um, and then support other women um, and support them doing that. We have to do the same for people of color and especially black people who did originate this music because it's just another injustice. Yeah, yeah. It's more a whitewashed history. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, that's... that's such a great point. Um, so that being said, um, who are the artists currently on your roster? Um, well, the ones who were already a part artist, we've got uh, Javon Jackson in Chicago, Gene Ferris from Chicago, um, Blue Nine from Chicago. It's funny because all the apart artists, my original apart artists were just Milwaukee and now there's only one in Milwaukee, um, which is sub-extort. Um, and then Nikki Kitts, who is now in Minneapolis. Um, I think that's the original core group. Um, and then now there's a lot of new additions that I haven't publicized yet. So this is, so this is breaking news. Um, <laughs> but, but Jerome Baker, who's a techno producer and DJ out of Chicago, um, DJ New Styles, who's out of Milwaukee who's an absolute legend and amazing um, hip-hop DJ and turntablist. And not just hip-hop, he plays amazing house sets too. Um, there's a number of others. Um, DJ Boyfriend out of Madison. Um, Delilah, who's in Milwaukee. And I think I'm gonna leave it there. But that, that, gives, awesome. the, that gives the taste. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Actually, I will say this too. Where I just decided last week to expand because I just really wanted to, to represent this this young woman who's been um, doing spoken word at a lot of our events. I've booked her for every event that we've been doing. A fifteen year old uh, black woman who's well, young woman. Um, she's just fire, and so I offered her a representation too because she just deserves to have that platform. So I'm, again, it's kind of like with the what genre do I play? How, you know, I'm, I just have to do what my heart moves me to do when it comes to that kind of thing. And, and representing talent that isn't getting represented is, is uh, important to me. So if that's spoken word, that's what it is right now. That's wonderful, good for you. Like that's, yeah, that's fantastic. Um, Love to see that for sure. Um, yeah, especially when you can bring like other mediums like that, like spoken word, to your platform and still like provide them, you know, resources and a way for them to express themselves. It, you learn a lot from each other in that way. That's a that's a really cool thing. Absolutely, working with other people in a part has always been mutually beneficial for me. I get just as much, maybe more from it, you know, as far as just what I learned from everyone. I'm lucky to have met awesome people who are incredibly creative, talented, um, kind, compassionate, and um, really badass too, what they do. So many badasses out here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's, there's a surplus of badassery going on. Um, so uh, do you, so are you making music of your own, like on the side as well? I've never made music myself. Okay. And, and I said, you know, when I started out, they were two completely different things. DJs and producers were not, it wasn't like a crossover. They were two separate animals. Um, and then I've just, I've shied away from it. Initially it was, you know, I didn't want to be on a computer any more than I already was promoting. Yeah. As I got more serious about that, it was like, wow, this is 80% being on a computer. It's understanding algorithms. It's like social media marketing. And, and I just didn't want to make music that way. My music was already too much around screens. Um, so that was one way I put it off. And then I came to realize too, that I was actually pretty scared of making music. 
because I knew I, like what happened when I started DJing, like it completely took over my life, right? And I took over and I used to DJ for eight or 12 hours at a time and still will. Uh, people know at undergrounds, if you put me on the, on the decks at like four in the morning, I'll still be there at 11 if there's no one booked after me, you know? Um, and I can't afford another habit like that in my life. Like I have responsibilities and I just, I think I, I know I would do that with production. I know I would. People do, or you hear about people disappearing into the studio for weeks at a time. And I'm already a little OCD about things that I do. People around me maybe have noticed that. Um, and yeah, production would suck me in. And I think a lot of other things would fall by the wayside as a result, so yeah. I, I hear you, like that's, that's totally like understandable. And I absolutely respect the boundary that you've set for yourself. Like, I feel like I've been in a similar headspace where I've always kind of thought about making music on my own too. Um, you know, I just, I'm just constantly stimulated by music. I have such a visceral connection to many different kinds of music. Like music is just, you know, it's what makes me feel good. But if I were to invest in a like all the equipment and means of doing that, I mean, that's one undertaking. And two is what you just touched on is that the, the just the immersiveness of it and how it's so it's seamless, you know, it's it's such a you get sucked into the vastness and I probably knowing like knowing me like I'm a very I have some very obsessive tendencies myself and uh, if I got sucked into making music in the way I got sucked into Mr. Nice Guy I'd people probably wouldn't really see much of me anymore <laughs> like I would just yeah exactly and I can already you know um, run on very little sleep. I can pull a 36 hour stint when I'm throwing parties or whatever, you know, I'm completely sober. I've been sober for years and I don't drink caffeine either. Um, occasionally once every like six months, I'll have a Red Bull and my team goes, Oh my God, she just had a Red Bull. She's going <laughs> to two days. Um, but yeah, exactly. The immersiveness. I know I will just work through nights, you know, and then just do the bare minimum to get through the days. Okay, I have to be here. I have to do this. I have to do that. And it'll be back to whatever I'm working on at every possible moment. Um, I just don't have that self-discipline to say, no, I'm only going to do this for three hours a day or two hours a day. Um, when I can hear what I want in my head and I know it's feasible because I know the software can do it, it'll just be like, all I have to do is put in the time until I get there. Because I'm like that about programming um, sets, mixes for people. If I have to do a mix for a radio show, I have to put three days aside. And oftentimes it'll be, you know, eight hours straight of recording because I will only do one take. And I know what I want to create. It's not like, okay, this set worked and there's no mistakes. It's like, no, that didn't build quite where I wanted it to or whatever. So yeah, it can be a rabbit hole. Certainly, wholeheartedly it can. Um, so I guess the last thing I kind of wanted to ask, um, I know you've uh, done festivals. I'd love to hear about festivals you've done and how, what that experience like, was like for you. Oh, it was really fun, really fun. I mean, um, the two that come to mind right away to play that were really big milestones for me were I played at Spring Awakening um, on the Dirty Bird stage. So that was huge for me because I've been involved with Dirty Bird um, years prior as um, part of the, a tour coordinator for them, for the Hatch Tour. And I've done social media for them, for their picnics and just had um, deep connections with them. I bought Claude Von Stroke here back in 2008 and then I booked him here um, since then really and bought all the Justin Martin and his brother Christian and Worthy and Jay Flip. Um, they've all came here 
because of my shows. So to have that come full circle and be playing for them on their stage rather than me booking them, um, yeah. that was really cool. That was really cool and really a moment for sure. Um, and then the other was playing even further, 16, 2016. So even further, Drop Bass Network are a huge part of Wisconsin his music history and, and American music history. And um, unfortunately, I was not aware of the furthers um, when they were happening. Um, I was more in the club scene in Milwaukee and didn't missed out on a lot of the rave scene. Um, so, and I kicked myself for it. I wish I'd known about it. So, so those ended and then Kurt decided to bring them back, bring back even further in 2016. And so to be asked to play um, and have that opportunity to be involved, not just as an attendee, but as a DJ. Um, yeah, that really meant a lot. And that was like coming, coming full circle in another way, you know, this music scene, Wisconsin, has allowed me, like you were saying earlier, it's a great place to grow. And it allowed me to develop as a DJ and develop as a promoter. And now I was able to play this, this event that was a huge part of Wisconsin even having a music scene. So that was, that was amazing. And I loved my set and I loved the response I got. Um, and I played um, all of them since, so, um, that's a huge honor as well. Yeah. So those are the two that stand out the most. Awesome. Thanks for sharing those stories. That's yeah, super. absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, uh, fortune, it's been so great getting to know you. Like you are, because you have such a like, you know, tenure in the scene and DJing and you know, you've obviously traveled a lot and been in a lot of places. Like, you know, it's just always, like really inspiring to just hear like how much you believe in people that are um you know making music today that are maybe young and just getting started and it's you know it's really awesome to hear that like you are like you know you've um invested in a lot of young artists yourself but that you've also you know, just like, you know, you know how to throw a good party. I would love to come to one of your parties. Once, once it's safe to party again, um, I'll definitely be out there to support you because. Please, absolutely. You would be very welcome. Oh, totally. Care of you hundred percent. That'd be great. Yeah. Um, so as we're closing out here, um, just tell me what keeps you up at night. I'm really shit at going to sleep and I always want to do more before I go to bed. I know that's not what you meant, but um, I I'm up every night. What keeps me up at night? Um, I guess the thing in my life that I'm most concerned about is being the parent that I want to be. Um, that's probably been my biggest concern. It's been instrumental in my decision to be sober um, over eight years ago now. Um, but Honestly, there's not a lot that I worry about. I don't worry about too much. Um, I think I have a lot of faith in, in the organic nature of this world and that we can learn what we need to learn and we do what we need to do and everything comes out in the wash one way or the other, you know? Um, the world is obviously in a really difficult state at the moment and well, one way or the other, it'll work out however it's supposed to. Um, the tough stuff is where the growth happens. That's where the, the magic actually happens. So I don't worry about too much. I hope we create a more just and fair world and, and microcosms of that within our relationships and our families and our relationship with ourselves too. Um, I think those things all play into each other. So but even that doesn't keep me up at night it'll, it'll all work out yeah you know um what puts what puts you to sleep kava tea what is it kava tea oh yeah uh, okay kava tea helps that's good um and rain 
Yeah, I love a good rain. Well, it's, rain, rain nap. Yeah. Yeah, I love a good rain like at night. Yeah, I last night for some reason I could not sleep for the life of me. Like, I I mean I was up late like editing an episode, but then like, I feel like I just stimulated my mind for so long that I just laid in bed for like two hours and I just couldn't fall asleep. I didn't. I still woke up at a good time today, but yeah, sometimes like keeping yourself up, like you just force yourself into a new wave of energy, you know? Definitely. A hundred percent you do. Yeah. That second wind, third wind, fourth wind. Yeah. All the damn winds. Yeah. yeah. Well, Jess, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, I had a wonderful time talking to you. I think you're awesome and um uh yeah i'm, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what you continue doing um with apart music as well as your own fortune uh brand and gigs and you know i also just you know solidarity with you uh being out there fighting the good fight in the streets um yeah i i think you're a very inspiring individual and um yeah i I wish you, I hope you stay safe though. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate the opportunity to come on here and chat with you. Um, and I guess I'll just end with saying that um, I just became a certified life coach too during this whole COVID pandemic. And I'm taking a two year mindfulness meditation teacher certification course starting shortly too. So I'll be doing some of those things in the future as well. Awesome. And thank you for Love the well Super cool. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Thanks a lot. You're very welcome. For everyone watching, be sure to check out Fortune. Uh, check out all the neat shit she's done, uh, spanning over two decades. And uh, be sure to check out, uh, you know, the, the work she's doing with the part music and the artists uh, that um, are involved. And uh, yeah. Um, we love to see all of it. Thank you for watching, Mr. Nice Guy. We'll see you next time.